0: Welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Someru. Hey everyone, boy have I got a good episode for you this week. So my guest is the president and CEO of GE Healthcare's businesses in 13 markets across Southeast Asia, Korea, Australia, and New Zealand. His name is Rob Walton and he's based in Singapore. He took on this role in June 2019 and he's responsible for leading all of the business activities for GE Healthcare within the region. Prior to this role, he was the general manager for the primary and affordable care business unit, and that's a $300 million global business providing ultrasound and acute care solutions for primary care and other value-based healthcare settings. So Rob led that business for three and a half years and drove a twofold increase in the business during his tenure and now does lots of exciting things at GE. So enjoy this episode. Cool. So Rob, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How you doing, mate?
1: Yeah, doing well. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: You're very welcome, sir. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Rob? Uh, I'm in Singapore. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Um, whereabouts in Singapore? Uh, if that's the well, question. Not yeah, that I know Singapore a, that well.
1: <laughs> it's just a city, so there's, uh, it's kind of uh, one place. But uh, yeah, pretty small, nice. but it's uh, you know it's uh, it's a great, vibrant city over here in Singapore. And so.
0: Loads of health tech stuff that goes on over there, over there, obviously. So I can't yeah. wait to talk about that with you. Absolutely. Um, come on. So the way that we start these podcasts is I get you to tell your story. And so what people tend to do is they start either around university or when they got their first bit of inspiration to move into healthcare or health tech or technology, um, and tell us the story of how you got to where you are. So if you could, sir, it'd be great to hear a bit about that from yourself.
1: Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, background, I'm an engineer by background. So, uh, as studied mechanical engineering at university, um, and then I actually spent the first part of my career not in healthcare. Uh, started with uh, Ford Motor Company as a design engineer there, uh, working on on car design really, and uh, not not the racing car design I was planning on, but it was more uh, <laughs> kind of uh, designing widgets on uh, on widgets as part of the the uh, engine design. So uh, you know, good good uh, background and good. Uh, baseline, you know, learning around how to do engineering and how to do it properly and how to do all of the the right structure around it, Um, but not necessarily kind of something that gave me huge inspiration, you know, to stay there. So, I actually moved to uh, Unilever uh, a few years later and then went into the manufacturing space, actually. So, I actually uh, did manufacturing operations there for about five years, uh, ended up uh, running some chemical plants and uh, other production facilities uh, at Unilever. Um, so it really, kind of got under my skin, you know, of, of how operations run, how manufacturing facilities operate, mm. um, and you know, just uh, getting used to working with people, leading people and teams, and things like that. Um, so I did that for about five years, and then actually I decided to take a a break and went to INSEAD in France. Uh, INSEAD is one of the business schools, the global business schools.
0: Um, one of it's the best business school <laughs> on of, the planet <laughs>
1: there's a
0: few good ones so my um, statistics though it's yeah. literally the one that scores first around the world well, so I
1: yeah mean, one of the drivers was actually it's a one-year course as well and so i was yeah. i was paying for it myself and uh you know with with me and also my uh, my fiance at the time not my wife and my fiance at the time we both gave up uh, our jobs and so we were kind of paying our, our own way through yeah. uh, university through uh through mba so um, so the fact it was a year was actually really good, but it's also extremely diverse. You know, people from all over the world, and I think that's one of the, the big drivers for INSEAD is that it's got such a you know a, a multicultural population, which really appealed to me. Um, so I did my MBA there, and, and that was a great experience. And uh, um, after that, I actually moved into uh, strategy consulting for a few years. So I joined Bain and Company. It's um, mm-hmm. one of the kind of the big three uh, strategy firms. Um, and so I spent about three years there. That was a great experience. you know? uh, I worked with a range of different companies, um, some in the healthcare sector, some in the consumer world, some in the industrial world, also private equity exposure as well. So really got to see how you know, investments took place and how you yeah. understand markets and analysis. Um, but it was a, you know, really, really uh, a good foundational experience for me. But I really, you know, at that point, I wanted to do something a bit more important in my mind, you know, something that actually uh, would, would give me something that really stimulated both the, the feeling of doing something good for the world as well as, you know, the intellectual inspiration. You know, I think back to when I was younger, I mean, when I was deciding what to do at university, I was really t- t- um, tossing up between uh, being an engineer or actually going into medicine and uh, so that was kind of kind of a serious uh, decision i was making my brother actually he's a he's a urology uh, surgeon and uh, you know we have kind of always uh, you know both of us been interested in both the technical side on on the medicine side he went the medical route i went the engineering route but uh, it's always kind of been in the in the back of my mind and uh, it's something i've really always wanted to do so um so actually i you know, Eleven years ago, I actually joined GE, and that was kind of when I started my healthcare career. Um, and you know, one of the things which I've really found fascinating is that confluence between technology and medicine, and seeing how yeah. the you know the engineering side can really add value by coming up with new solutions and um, products that can actually help people and uh, you know really solve you know big difficult medical problems. So that's been been fast fantastic for me. I mean. G Healthcare, for those that are not so familiar, you know, we're one of the the bigger uh, players in diagnostic imaging in particular. Um, So we make CT machines, MRIs, x-ray, ultrasound machines, mammography, you know, all of the kind of the major diagnostic imaging equipment, as well as life support systems. So we make all the ventilators, uh, patient monitors anesthesia delivery machines probably machines that you used to use in your uh, oh, Indeed buzz, I'm your sure careers. I have
0: used many of your of your machines Rob so I just want to I guess talk about that that move into healthcare and I, I guess everything that's happened in your career thus far from car design to manufacturing to operations to uh, the MBA and, and learning that theory and then moving on to Bain and seeing that in, in delivery, you know, and you know, even the private X 11 and those investments and things, it seems like, and you mentioned the word twice, diversity, you know, you've had such a diversity of your experience. You enjoyed the diversity even of the humans at, at Intiad. And it seems like that's a theme that's, that's run through your career, that you've enjoyed that challenge mm. of learning different things and piecing together, I guess, a portfolio of different skills and knowledge that's kind of led you to where you are. Because I suppose you, you can't really run a company like GE without having the experience in all these different areas, and a, I suppose, learning what you are good at, and but also b, I guess, rounding off all those different skills. I mean, have you? I suppose you, you must have enjoyed it, right? All the different things in your career so far.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and I think um, all of those kind of building blocks of, as you've mentioned, enables you to to kind of have the rounded general management view. I mean, as a as a kind of a CEO, which is the position I'm in at the moment, and. And also when I was leading kind of some of the businesses earlier in in, uh, GE, you know, you're involved in everything. You're involved in uh, engineering, manufacturing, sourcing, commercial activities, marketing, um, you know, all of the different pieces of the jigsaw. And so actually having worked in all those different spaces, albeit not necessarily in healthcare, you know, I understand how a factory runs. I understand how an engineering team runs. You know, I've worked now a lot with, with commercial teams and marketing teams. You know, also in terms of understanding how markets operate, investments take place. And so, as you say, all those building blocks have been extremely helpful to be able to give that that broader perspective. You know, and I think the other aspect is, um, you know, my early part of my GE career, uh, I was on global jobs, uh, pretty much. Yeah. I, my first job was running our respiratory and sleep care business and, uh, and actually based out of the USA. So, I, we relocated to... Uh, Madison, Wisconsin, actually, which is where the headquarters of that business unit was. Um, and, you know, in that role, even though I was based in the USA, I spent a lot of time in the U.S. market. Uh, being in a global position, you you get significant exposure to all of the global markets. So I would spend lots of time in China, uh, in uh, Europe, in uh, Middle East, in wow. Latin America, in uh, Southeast Asia as well. and. Uh, you know all of the different markets around the world, and and that's for me being one of the the really great parts of my G career has been to see all of the different markets around the world. Also working with all the different cultures that you get within that, um, because it's, it's interesting. I mean, people are, are very similar in one respect around the world, but also very different <laughs> in others. And the you know the the cultural differences you know are, are quite significant. Um, and, and actually having that exposure and be able to work with People from all different walks of life, I think it helps you to think differently about stuff. I mean, if I'd spent all my life kind of necessarily working in, in the USA or in, in the UK, I think I would have a very different perspective on the world overall. And I, I kind of seen also, you know, healthcare customers and, uh, and, and patients even around the world seem to be extremely different. And, uh, you know, that diversity, you know, builds a picture. That gives you that 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 broader
0: perspective overall. I'm so glad you've mentioned that. It is it is something that comes up on this podcast, I'd say every other week that and let's go back to that word, the diversity of the diversity of experience, first of all, and how important that is. You know, as you've mentioned, going to different countries, experiencing different cultures, learning different things gives you the ability, I suppose, to problem solve using a completely different set of tools to somebody that's only existed in one world. And we often talk about it on this podcast, and I suppose more of a micro fashion in terms of if you've only done medicine, you might only think like a medic. Whereas yourself, if you've done design and car design and engineering, manufacturing operations, you've learned business, you've done private equity, you can see the world through lots of different lenses and you can appreciate lots of different thought processes and the way that people solve problems in different ways. And I think even within, you're narrower perhaps, um, feel even within healthcare or the business side of healthcare, even in GE globally, those different offices will think about things differently. Because as you've said, the culture is very different. And I think it's just such an important point that even, even I suppose on on a personal level, right, I've been traveling, I've experienced different cultures, I've actually seen what poverty looks like, I've actually seen what favelas look like, and all these different things. And it gives you this real different appreciation for the way that you live your own life in the Western world. And I suppose even in my professional life, having done all the different things that I've done now, it gives me an appreciation for certain things about actually being a doctor and being clinical, but also how things, you can have that same appreciation in things to do with business as well. And I think it's, it's such an important point. And mm-hmm. I think for people looking to build a career like yours, I, I think, you know, I mean, I'll ask you the question, I mean, what would you say are the most important things? Is it that, is it that travel? Is it getting that diversity to get to where you are?
1: Yeah, I think it's a blend of all of that, and uh, as you say, the, the different experiences are, are really important. And you also see how different, you know, even just some things as simple as how different products are used around the world. You know, I mean, one example when I when I was in the the respiratory job, um, you know, the, the first time I went to India uh, to visit an ICU, that was that was a really fascinating experience. I mean, we were in a, a remote town. Um, on the Outside of Bangalore, you know, on one of the smaller hospitals uh, over there, and you know, as you would know from a UK ICU, it's a pretty sophisticated place, right? Typically, you've got kind of high-end ventilators, high-end monitors. You know, the whole uh, environment is extremely controlled and uh, and extremely clean. You know, I remember the first time I went to the the ICU in, in India, and it was it was literally a room with Kind of metal tables in uh, with uh, uh, six patients in. You know, I had to put a mask on for my own safety. I think rather than necessarily yeah. patient safety. And and these guys were being ventilated using a pretty much a BIPAP ventilator. <sighs> you know, which is going kind of, for those that are not familiar with BIPAP, it's a fairly s- simple subacute ventilator, usually used for home care use rather mm-hmm. rather than uh, often in a, in a, a high end ICU. So. You know, but the resources were just not available to be able to afford these higher-priced equipment. And so, what you saw is the the way people adapt to be able to, you know, make things work within the context they're in. And I think, you know, although I wouldn't necessarily say it was the, the best practice, it, it still shows you what can be achieved. And you know, I th- I found this actually quite useful for when I was in uh, a later role where I, I led the um, what we call our primary and affordable care business. Uh, which was really where we were developing solutions which were um, more for the developing world and for lower cost or, or primary care applications. So in primary care, in this case, is not necessarily a, a GP like we'd have in the UK. Primary care would be you know, a, a small township hospital which, sure. which provides basic health care to a wide, wide range of the population. But what you see is that actually the way that some of the products are used and some of the way they improvise uh, to make things work is is actually extremely innovative, and it gave us a lot of inspiration for some of our product development. You know, one thing we saw was um, you know, baby warmers. You know, in a in a yeah. Western world, you see a baby warmer, which is again a pretty sophisticated piece of equipment. In India, you know, in some places they use a light bulb, and the yeah. light bulb is providing the heat to the baby. You know, and so as we are thinking about how do you redesign a product. Um, we're not saying how do you defeature a high-end Western or, or developed world, you know, uh, warmer. You're actually saying how can I, how can I take a light bulb and then make that a bit more sophisticated, right? And so you're starting from a, a completely different end of the of the chain in terms of how you design wow. products. And I think perspectives like that just kind of open up your eyes about how things are done. And uh, and obviously you can achieve a much cheaper, a much simpler. You know, probably much more appropriate type of product for those type of situations. So I think it's a situation like that and experiences like that that really kind of give you the inspiration for how to think differently for different markets around the world.
0: I love that. I've done a NHH job as well, so I can appreciate how even you know a decent light bulb might do a pretty good job. Um, And you know, that that's that whole story is really interesting to me because I'm sure there are many people listening like me who didn't even know that GE had a primary and affordable care business where you actually think about solutions for the de- developing world. I mean, mm. I suppose the the, the view of, of GE, as you mentioned before, you know, you make hardware, you make these, um, a lot of the devices that, that we see that, that do a lot of the, the, the complex tasks in hospitals for our, for our physiology. Mm. Um, uh, and you also have some investment activity, which I've seen, but I suppose, yeah, what else does GE Healthcare do?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we try and do the the full remit. So within the context of um, uh, diagnostic imaging, uh, obviously ultrasound is part of that, and life support and patient monitoring, pharmaceutical diagnostics, so we do a lot of contrast media. Um, so we within that context, we try and cover the full range. So obviously in, in, the, in the past, we used to be very premium, kind of higher-end product focused and really catering more towards the developed markets. But I'd say probably 10 or so years ago, you know, we, we had a, a significant focus on what we call more the value products, uh, which is more focused on these uh, more developing world needs. Because if you think about where the populations are in the world and also where the populations are growing, a lot of them are in, in developing yeah. places, you know, whether it's India, whether it's Southeast Asia, where I am now. Um, whether it's Latin America or, or even you know parts of Europe, you know it's uh, there's a, there's a significant need. So so what you need to have is is a you can't have a one size fits all. And I think um, we've seen this in many different industries. You, you know if you end up with one type of product in your portfolio, and and then try and you know force that onto the broader population is not necessarily mm. going to be suitable.
0: I think the nice thing about that as well, Rob, is that not only does it make business sense, but it actually leads to more impact as well, because you're creating, as you've said, a more affordable product or one that's actually tailored to the needs of the localized population or the localized disease process, or, you know, whatever it is, you, you're actually, you're actually creating more impact as well as you'd expect affecting the bottom line in a more positive way. Right. Mm.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's obviously driven uh, by by wanting to be able to solve the problems, but also, you know, within that, from a just a purely from a business point of view, there's there's significant opportunity there as well. I mean, and I think for the entrepreneurs who are on the call, I think this is, you know, this is big opportunities in these kind of spaces to be able to solve these problems. It just takes a different mindset to be able to think through how to develop those type of products.
0: Sure, and for GE then. What interactions do you have with that health tech startup ecosystem? Are you guys playing in that? Well, I say playing in that space. Are you? Are you out and about in that space? Are you viewing a lot of startups? Are you tracking them? Are you? Because I've, as I say, I've seen a few investments and in things that you mm-hmm. guys have made in in sort of the more devicey end. I'm just yeah. interested in. Do you have an accelerator? Do you? Are you interested in that sort of stuff? Yeah, talk to me a bit about that.
1: Yeah, we. I mean, we've. Um, we generally. Uh, Excuse me. We're very interested in uh, in uh, startup firms, and and also you know we've invested in quite a lot of areas. As some of our technologies, um, or a lot of our technologies, come through from investments. Uh, we started out as kind of equity investments, then we expanded, and then maybe eventually turned into full acquisitions. So, if you look at a lot of parts of our business, you know, let's take our ultrasound business for example. You know, this is a multi-billion dollar business for us, um, but it started out as uh, some small acquisitions that we made, mm. in cardiac ultrasound and uh, women's health ultrasound. You know, they were pretty small businesses back then, you know, 15, 20 years ago, but that's, you know, we invested there and developed that and expanded it and become you know global leader in, in ultrasound from that point of view. And, you know, in, in all parts of our business, we... We do look at uh, investments significantly uh, here. You know, one of the areas we're particularly focused on at the moment is um, investments with AI. Uh, we've recently developed, um, or actually invested over quite a few years in uh, the AI space, and we launched our Edison platform, uh, which is kind of a, a full integrated uh, AI suite, which is really software architecture, which also has developer services in. Um, and that's really built to enable us to work with third-party firms because we know that, you know, we, if we're going to be the people who make all of the AI applications that we use on all of our equipment and across all of our customer base, I mean, we, we're not going to be able to do that. I mean, there's, there's yeah. literally thousands of applications and uh, opportunities to be able to develop technology, and we, you know, nobody has the capacity to be able to do all of that work on their own. So it's really a, a network that's required. And so we, we're really um, very focused on working with third parties, um, whether it's larger firms or smaller firms. Um, but it's really people who, who kind of focus on the same challenges that we're trying to solve for um, and can operate in, a, in an effective way. You know, obviously it takes a bit of uh, work for, for a smaller firm to work with a bigger firm like GE, and and sometimes that's that's – can be, a you know, have challenges, but I think what we've found is when we can make it work and we can find uh, companies that have similar mindset and similar approach, actually the results can be fantastic, and uh, and that's really what we're, we're focused on going forward.
0: That's awesome, and I suppose very inspiring for the startups listening that they, you know, could, I suppose, no matter what their size, at least start to engage with you and and start to build that relationship so that you guys start talking. One thing about the AI suite, I I saw this actually, and I absolutely love the fact that you're that you're doing this i mean ai is really becoming not only part of the conversation i mean it's here isn't it we're we're doing prospective studies using ai now it's actually being rolled out in in lots of different companies are actually using it on the front line, even in the NHS COVID-19 scene, the likes of AI bring um, more AI products into the market for, for COVID-19 specifically. And I saw that you guys were working with Lunit as well, another very good um, AI company in radiology to, to sort of build that suite out with so that you can do chest X-rays and, mm, and, that's right. and, and all that sort of stuff. So, um yeah, it, it, interesting times for you guys, and I think you know, if, you can, if you're going to back a horse at the moment, or at least integrate that horse into what you're doing, if that's a metaphor, um, AI is certainly the one to do because it's the software to your hardware, I suppose. And if you can solve a problem end to end for customers, it seems like a bit of a no-brainer for you guys.
1: Yeah, and, and actually, you know, the, the reality is we actually, as much as a software company as we are a hardware company. You know, and nowadays there, there is the difference between software and hardware, or, or the you have to have the software capability to be able to make a
0: physical product I mean, you're right and they're both medical devices now aren't they software and hardware so. <laughs> absolutely.
1: yeah yeah absolutely and and the so, regulators
0: certainly think so so yeah, so
1: I think I think the the driver of it is that um, you know if you look at the the challenges for hospitals I mean there's some fundamental issues which exist for every healthcare company or healthcare provider in every part of the world and that's really about increasing demand, which is ever-increasing at the moment, um, expectations on quality um, are just rising all of the time, but at the same time, significant shortage of clinicians. You know, actually being able to have enough of the right trained doctors and nurses is extremely difficult, and everybody has the same pressure on budgets as well. So, these fundamental issues are, are really hard to solve um, without kind of finding ways to become more efficient and more effective. And one of the things which is which is interesting when you look at the data that's captured in the hospital, you know, with, with imaging equipment, patient monitoring equipment, EMR data, hospital information systems, the amount of data that exists now within hospitals is just breathtaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some statistics like the average hospital has something generates like a million gigabytes of data every year. <laughs> and and the, the more interesting statistic is that 3% of that is used.
0: I was, I was about to ask how much of it is used. And that's 3%, crazy. I mean, it's, it's,
1: it's one of these things where, you know, there's so much information, but mm. only a fraction actually makes it into the records. You know, it's like an example of, you know, uh, you know ECG trace. You know, you'll, you'll feed in the heart rate into the EMR and, and to be recorded, but you've got all that rich data that comes from yeah. the ECG trace that could be analysed. And and made the most of. The problem is that nobody's got the time, and certainly nobody's got necessarily the the capability to crunch all of that data and get the insights out of it. And so, but this is where the AI has a role to play because the AI is where you actually can process this data and actually extract the insights which are embedded within all of that rich data, and then use that to provide insights that the clinician can use. And mm-hmm. you know, I think a lot of people think a worried that ai is trying to replace the doctor and take you know take decision making out of the doctor's hands and that, that's absolutely you know certainly not the way that we would ever even dream of uh, approaching it it's actually about enabling the clinician to have information in a in a in a more bite sized and packaged form that can be actually used to to drive decision making you know and it's i mean a couple of the examples that that we have i mean which is actually quite interesting for COVID, I mean, we've got this uh, new solution called tele-ICU, um, which is really about taking all of the data, um, which as you know, James, is in the, uh, in the ICU, there's, there's just a myriad of devices which are connected to the patient.
0: Uh, and all
1: of the, the data streams that are coming out of that you know, have to be analyzed and understood. And if you've got kind of 25 patients in the ICU, that multiplies out by a, a significant factor particularly if everybody's overrun and, and you know the, the under stress because of uh, excessive demand, which obviously was the situation in COVID. So I, I'll tell you, ICU solution actually takes all of that data, uses AI-enabled software to aggregate it all together, and then put all of the entire patient context into a single uh, overall pane of glass, effectively, effectively a, a mega screen, which puts together the... You know, We call it the patient snapshot, so it provides all of the, the vital signs data. It provides data from the EMR. You can access radiology data. It also has things like a remote viewer. So, actually, you could, you could view the patient remotely without being exposed to the infection risk um, and interact with the patient using the audiovisual uh, technology and be able to look at the patient, zoom in, look at the color of their skin, etc., speak to them if necessary, or speak to the attending nurse, and be able to manage that whole patient context in a much more effective way. And then even better than that, what you can do is also not just view one patient. You can view all 25 or 50 patients and to see what the different status are of all the patients at the same time. And, And the critical thing here is You know, one of the the challenges in ICU is is being able to see when a patient is actually, their condition is deteriorating and being able to spot those early warning signals much earlier so that actually you can intervene. And when you have many different patients in an ICU, it's sometimes difficult to be able to to manage that whole situation and and see exactly which is the patients that have the highest risk. Whereas this kind of brings the information out in a much more uh, available form. So you can make those decisions real time and actually, hopefully then, you know, drive better patient outcomes and, and, uh, and take action where required.
0: So that is epic. That is exactly, if you're going to design the, the ITU now based on the technology that we have, and actually, frankly, the technology that we pretty much use in in lots of other aspects of our lives, that is pretty much what you would design. I mean, is that, when, in describing that, I mean, is that being used anywhere right now?
1: Yeah, it's uh, been used in USA. Um, it's, we've, we're looking at one in Korea uh, and also in Southeast Asia. So the solution is available now; it's on the market. Uh, it's been under development. Actually, this we work with a third-party company as well uh, to develop this. So this is an example of where we do work with the third parties to be able to, to develop these type of solutions. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a, it's one of these great solutions that. You know, we actually were developing pre-COVID, um, yeah. and you know, it's been a, uh, something where you know, whether whether you have an over demand in the ICU or not, you know, due to COVID, these kind of issues are, are critical to solve um, because we know that the clinicians are, have resource gaps. We know that they have, you know, they're under extreme pressure, and we know that patients are under life uh, critical situations and. You know the data can help to solve these things it's just very difficult to to piece it all together so this is just a solution that really does that in a very effective and elegant way um so yeah i think it's uh hopefully going to be something which really has a, has a big impact in, in many places around the world
0: and given you mentioned the c word covid um how has covid been for you guys i mean what what have you had to what have you what have you seen? What have you heard? What, what's the activity been business-wise in response to it? Because obviously, mm. with with you guys, I mean, we've heard everything in the press about ventilators, for example, about PPE, about all these mm. different things. Well, I suppose ventilators is is very close to you guys. Mm. What what what's it been like for you guys in in terms of having to step up to? I suppose address a lot of these issues.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's been kind of a uh, it's almost like a game of two halves for us in in some respects. Yeah. So half of our business has been unbelievably busy. Um, you know, whether it's, I mean, the ventilators have been the toughest, you know, as everybody around the world has heard. It's become the most famous medical device in the world, I think. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's meant that we've had to significantly invest in capacity building. Um, you maybe saw we, we did a uh, collaboration with Ford Motor Company to be able to ramp up Uh, Capacity of uh, ICU ventilator very quickly. Um, Oh, yeah, I've
0: forgotten you guys did that.
1: Yeah, so it's it's things like this which you have to work extremely hard and fast on to be able to make these things work. And so our teams, uh, product teams, have been just doing an unbelievable job to really ramp this up. And and the the manufacturing teams are just working night and day to be able to get the products um, made. So ventilators are very high profile. We're also seeing the same thing in patient monitors, though. Patient monitors are extremely high-demand, CT machines, X-ray. Yeah. Uh, also, point-of-care ultrasound is, is very high-demand. So these are kind of all you know what we call the COVID kind of products, which are just uh, extremely, uh, you know, uh, super high-demand and, and difficult to, to manufacture enough. So really busy on, on that side. I think on the other side, we've seen, you know, slowdown in, other parts of the the business, so you know, surgical and elective procedures definitely have have kind of tailed off. Yeah, during this period, you know, obviously hospitals are prioritising demand and, and prioritising resources to be able to focus on the the emergency and intensive care, um, and obviously trying to limit the amount of patients coming into the hospital. So, so what we're seeing really is, you know, during this lockdown period, this kind of two half situation taking place, but. You know what we're also seeing now, because quite a few of the countries in Asia are starting to relax some of the lockdown measures. Um, and what we see is we kind of we call it the phase two now, which is the the bounce back period. And and actually, what we're seeing in some places uh, is an increase in demand. So as the, you know, many patients have had postponed procedures, and so, you know, as they rush to 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 actually undergo those procedures that have been postponed, you're actually getting more patients coming into the hospitals for those surgical and elective procedures taking place. And imaging departments are now we're busy because of the COVID situation, but now getting busy because of the backlog of work that they need to catch up on. And so, you know, hospitals are under a different type of strain uh, than they were during COVID, but, but no less difficult. And, uh, and I think this bounce-by period is, is, a, is a tough one because, you know, you have to be extremely vigilant to make sure that the infection risks are controlled really carefully, yeah. that you can actually, you know, keep those machines running to be able to do all of this the surgical work or the backlog on the imaging work to be able to, you know, clear the, clear the backlog. So that's kind of what we see is the, the phase two. And then, you know, that's, we're kind of expecting that to last for two or three or four months until we get into this kind of more living with COVID phase, which is, you know, where, where the virus is still around, but maybe contained at, at, at lower levels. And, and I think the question is what happens during that period. You know, some call it the new normal, some call it the, you know, the the, the living with COVID phase. Um, in our view, actually, the the true new normal is once the, the vaccine comes, you know, yeah. or there's, a, there's a, a proper viable treatment. I think we're going to be in some kind of stasis mode you know, for at least through that phase three living with COVID period, until we get to something which is a bit more um, certain, and, and I think what we're seeing is um, some of the things that were started to be used during the COVID period. A lot of the telemedicine solutions. What we're hearing is that hospitals are planning to to keep going with those and actually maintain a lot of those uh, those telehealth type solutions, either remote um, consultations you know, to be able to keep patients out of the hospitals and, and be able to do things more remotely. I think some of those things we're expecting to see persist you know all the way through and then and maybe that's kind of part of what the new normal is ultimately going to look like
0: i think so and i i I do think it is going to be a catalyst for more for more innovation perhaps to to help clear that backlog and as people become more comfortable i mean you mentioned it you know telemedicine has just finally had the value proposition just thrown at it just oh here you go on a plate there's the there's the value proposition everyone now really wants to get involved in it and we've seen such a scale with it in the uk and i suppose globally too Mm the only thing i wanted to touch on as well as I suppose from, and I've spoken to you know most of my friends are in healthcare in one way or another. Some are uh, clinicians, and others on on the managerial business side. I think you know we're all in a pretty fortunate position when it comes to COVID nineteen. That a we still have a job, but also from from. I guess a purpose perspective it's it's nice to have to go to work i suppose for you even and be heading an organization that is partnering with ford to then develop new ventilators which are going to be shipped around the world to try and save lives i think it it must be, it must be a really nice feeling to go to work and have that purpose to be able to be genuinely part of solving a global crisis right
1: yeah i mean and, and our teams have been just unbelievable in terms of this i mean particularly the frontline teams you know, I mean, we, our engineers and our applications people are, have been going out every day throughout this whole period. I mean, obviously, doctors are really on the front line and the nurses, yeah. you know, really kind of treating the patients. But, you know, we we, try, we kind of think ourselves as the, the front line behind the front line, if you like. We're making sure that the machines keep running, that the machines are optimized, that, that we do the maintenance procedures. If something breaks down, our guys are there. And, and you know wherever it is around the world, you know um, our guys are going in full hazmat suits nece- if necessary. You know with the yeah. PPE set up to go in and and uh, and repair the equipment and make sure it's it's running to its optimum and and actually being able to help out and provide the equipment where necessary and also to provide the training. So some of the things that our guys have done, which has really been you know stuff we've we've kind of. Played with a little bit in the past, but not done much. Is a lot of the online education um, that was set up. Typically, you do a webinar live or you do kind of a live training session, but that's not really been feasible. But many of the, the users um, are not so familiar with how to use some of the equipment, particularly the ventilators. I mean, a lot of yep. people who are now in the ICUs who've not necessarily had that much experience of, of using the ventilators. So, our clinical applications people are doing lots and lots of Education and training and and uh, upskilling sessions to be able to make sure people really understand how to use the equipment, how to get the best out of it, and you know because this stuff is is life support equipment, and if you use it right, and it, it's a really powerful tool. If you don't use it in the right way, then you know it could, it could equally go the other way. So you have to make sure that people are very well trained and, and understand uh how to get the best out of the equipment. So so yeah, I think it's it's great to be on that side, and it's. Um, you know, it, it's a very. Um, it makes you very proud when you see the teams out there every day. You know, just doing everything they possibly can to look after the the, the doctors and the nurses, and and really trying to support that front line, as we said.
0: That's awesome, man. And. I suppose to to, uh, close us out, a final question from me would be GE Healthcare then in the next 12 months, two years, five years, what are you guys up to? What are you guys looking for? Who should get in touch with you? What technologies are you looking to build or acquire or partner with? Talk to me a bit about the future for GE. Yeah,
1: I I think our future is really, um, what we see is a, um, a broader digitization of healthcare and also we see a shift towards more precision health and precision diagnostics or precision monitoring and and really you know we talked a bit about this before you know how do you use all those insights that exist within the data to be able to provide a more tailor-made and targeted solution for for patients and and, and for clinicians and so a lot of the development work we're doing is all around that space uh, and really trying to find solutions that either can be used on the devices. So you mentioned the kind of critical care suite. So within X-ray, you know, we we have kind of AI applications that can detect a pneumothorax, for example, and get that alerted to the radiology department. You know, within MRI, we've got automated uh, uh, scan placement uh, taking place so that you can automate kind of neurological scanning. You know, there's uh, stuff like our... our, um, handheld ultrasound, which contains uh, auto-ejection fraction measurements and things like that, which help to automate the, the, uh, the process of, of doing the cardiac output assessment. You know, things like this is what we see is an opportunity to really enhance the equipment that clinicians use today or bring in new solutions that don't exist. And uh, I think this is where there's a big opportunity um, to work with third parties. To be able to see, you know, where is there a sp- specific problem statement that needs to be solved that hasn't been solved today, you know, and these problem statements can don't have to be clinical necessarily. So, you know, obviously there's a lot of opportunity for clinical outcomes to be improved, I and mean, so there's, there's a whole set of solutions that could fit around uh, clinical um, efficacy and improving patient outcomes. You know, there's as much need though for solutions that solve. Um, the inherent inefficiencies in healthcare. Um, And if you think about hospitals, hospitals are an operation that needs to run efficiently and it has multiple different departments, multiple different members of staff, um, often parts of a broader healthcare network. And and that's really an operation which can run either efficiently or inefficiently. And obviously the more efficiently it runs, the the less costly (laughs) it is and the more capacity it has. So, you know, one of the things that we've, we've, Developed recently is what we call our command center. Um, and this is not a clinical solution, this is actually a hospital operation uh, solution, which uses like a, a NASA style mission control center, which has uh, data feeds from all around the hospital and it can manage, uh, monitor real time things like uh, bed utilization, ICU occupancy, number of ventilators availability, staff availability um you know transfers between the departments, you know, how long it's taken from somebody to be discharged from A to B. Also you can look across the entire network. So if you have an overcapacity of you know, say ICU beds in one hospital but an undercapacity in another, you can do level loading and, and things like that. And so you know these type of solutions are pretty new um in the industry. Uh, we've got a few examples, quite a lot in the USA. There's one in Bradford Royal Infirmary in the UK. And what we've seen is that these Provide huge insights to the people who run the hospitals to be able to see exactly where their resources are being used. And this all leverages AI software and AI technology. And what you can do is actually build what we call a digital twin of the hospital. And if you have that, you can then do uh, simulation models and do scenario planning analysis. And so, what this does is, you know, if you are anticipating a flood of demand, you know, for example, in COVID, you could actually model what that might look like wow. and then see how your utilization of the different departments is going to work, and then then make some decisions. and And the idea is to make forward-looking decisions rather than backward-looking decisions, because you want to be able to do those those changes in the moment before you run into the problems, rather than you know running to catch up once you run into the issues. And so, so by using this kind of technology, using all the the, the AI support that 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 is used within these kind of solutions you can actually help to really balance out your resources and actually you know reduce costs and our customers who who have been in put these solutions in place are already seeing you know significant benefits in terms of either cost reduction or actually increased capacity you know if you've got like uh, um, some areas which are overused and some areas that are underused your net capacity utilization is much lower than yeah. balanced level loading, and so you can actually free up much more space in the system, and also use your resources much more effectively. So I think that's some of these, are some of the areas that we're kind of uh, looking at uh, overall. But it's about that that precision diagnostics, or precision monitoring, or precision operations within the hospital.
0: It sounds awesome. And I think there's, there's a real kind of practicality and, and pragmatism to the way that you're applying these new technologies like AI. And I think. You know, there's there's loads of startups and companies out there that are sort of, you know, pushing the frontier of of either the technology or the clinical area using these things. But I think there are so many gaps before there that need to be filled in. Like when we're still using fax machines, it's difficult to talk about, you know, precision diagnostics and the rest of it. But I think there's a real practicality to the way that you are solving problems out there which which is to be expected right for a company as mature as GE with the customers that you have and delivering for customers which are you know hospitals and and providers of healthcare it makes a lot of sense and obviously you guys have got a heck of a feedback loop when it comes to checking, are you increasing capacity? Are you dropping costs? Are you increasing resources and all the rest of it? And it seems to direct you to definitely the right places. I mean, I, I think back to, you know, I went to Finland to have a look at their, um, their health tech system out their healthcare system out there and the technology that they were using. And in Helsinki, they, they built a new children's hospital and, the amount of tech that they had for things like you're describing about capacity and moving people around and and you know evening out the distribution of resource, they were disproportionately, it felt at the time, putting their, I guess, money and effort into that stuff. But then when you looked at actually how the rooms were being utilized and how gloriously the hospital just seemed to be running... As well as then the data which backed it up, which the medical director was talking to us about. You know, it it just seemed to make so much sense because there's so much that you can get as an organization as a knock on from just making sure that a clinician has a room to take a patient when they need it. And I know that frustration. I know that frustration as a clinician. And I know that frustration is as helping people try to innovate as well. And I think there are so many problems which you guys are solving as GE, understandably, that, that are going to lead to so much capacity, both for the organization's but I think also the capacity in people's minds that they can then go and think about different problems to solve as well. And I absolutely love that about what you guys are doing. I'm just going to leave you one thing, Rob, as well. When I was an anesthetist, when I was about about to leave, I can remember one of the last anesthetics I was sat in I remember thinking, like, what makes a consultant better than a junior when it comes to anaesthetics? Because really, anaesthetics isn't that difficult until things start going wrong. And some people are going to definitely write to me and disagree with me there, but I'm talking as a massive generalisation here. But I was thinking, you know, what really makes that that difference? in it's experience. And then I thought, well, what if the anaesthetic machine had a camera and what with some computer vision? What if it had a, a microphone and it was listening? What if it could see and hear everything that I'm doing and the consultant's doing throughout its career as an anaesthetic machine? Machine. And then what about every single anaesthetic machine globally? What if you gave you drugs through it so it could map the heart rate response, and the blood pressure response to the drugs? What if you put the patient history into it so it understood the patient demographics and it could map that stuff as well? Mm. And I just thought, imagine if you then connected every single anaesthetic machine in the world in one second or 10 seconds, you'd have more collective data than a consultant that had been alive for a million years and, right. and all that experience, right? Yeah, so absolutely. yeah, if you could just build that at GE, Rob, I'm glad that my career has got to a point now where I've got you on the phone. So <laughs> that's, that's essentially what I want you guys to build.
1: <laughs> well, it, it, it's it, it kind of joke, but it's, I mean, that's, that's the kind of stuff our engineers are thinking about all the it time. It is, right. It should and, be. And, uh, you know, one of the benefits we have is, is as you said, the, the installed base is critical to that. And that's one of the big advantages we have, which kind of, you know, gives us that opportunity is we have millions of devices around the world, and most of those are connected, or many of those are connected. And so you know, what you were talking about and thinking about back in those days, maybe we didn't have the connectivity and whatnot back then, and certainly didn't have the AI capabilities and the data processing capabilities, but now, now we do, you know, companies do. Um, and then if you can connect those, those hundreds of thousands of devices together, as you say, the data you get out is extremely rich. And it's about insights and experience at the end of the day. That's the thing that makes the difference. And, you know, what AI is only useful if you train it with good insights and good intelligence, right? And and it's, you have to have the data that comes from where the machines are being used and, and seeing what's actually flowing through those machines. And, and as we said, there's so much information there. There's so much data that's buried in the machines that if you could unlock that and then bring it together and then... Then, then distill out those those rich insights. That's when you can really start to make some interesting stuff happen, and and actually build stuff that really makes a difference. So I, I think your your vision is is absolutely you know bang on. <laughs> that's exactly what we uh, we're trying to do at, at G.
0: Cool, just give me a couple of percentage points, mate. If you end up building that, that'd be fine. <laughs> um, cool, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on, Rob. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it's great to hear about your background. It's great to hear what you guys are doing at GE. Um, and the way that we end these podcasts is, I just hand back over to you to summarise a bit about yourself, a bit about what you're up to at GE. And if you've got any asks of our audience, and bear in mind, there's entrepreneurs, there's there's founders, there's people in corporates, there's investors that there, you know, people across the the health tech space listen to this podcast. And so, if you've got any asks for them, then by all means, close us out with those. So take it away,
1: great. Well, I mean, first of all, thank, James, thanks for having me on the the session today. I really enjoyed the the discussion. Um, I, I think hopefully you, you got a sense of the type of things that that we're interested in and, and what we're we're trying to achieve. I think, as we mentioned, really trying to solve those fundamental issues in healthcare. You know, trying to solve for the increasing demand, uh, the increased expectations on quality. You know how do you how do you deal with the the lack of trained clinicians around the world and and that pressure on costs and so everything that we're trying to do is is really around you know helping to solve those problems and also you know helping to solve you know better outcomes for patients so you know whether it's in the devices themselves you know and obviously we're we're very focused on that diagnostic imaging um, and life support and pharmaceutical diagnostics type of products. Um, or, or whether it's within the, the broader solutions that kind of address the, um, the hospital operations, you know, really that, that's the, the type of things that we think are going to make the difference um, in the healthcare space in the, in the coming years. And so, you know, uh, we we obviously develop a lot of this stuff ourselves, but um, always extremely interested to, to work with third parties, startup firms, with uh, other companies that have. You know, great technology and great solutions that may be focused on on any of those things be it the clinical outcomes or being at the, the uh, uh, hospital efficiency outcomes I think this is really where there is uh, where there's a big opportunity um, you know I think as we mentioned precision health is extremely critical I think that's going to be something which you know in the in the coming years will become more and more important um, the data overload is, is something we have to to deal with and, and that's nothing, uh, if, if only just to, you know, help to make the clinicians lives a bit more straightforward, you know, and, and help to reduce some of the clinician burnout that we see uh, around the world. I think that's kind of where some of these solutions can really uh, come to fruition and, and, and add some value. So, um, so yeah, I mean, as I we mentioned, we're really uh, um, extremely focused on, on Digital technology and the broader digitization in healthcare. um, We're we're trying to work closely um, with with partners across the world, whether it's actually with hospitals, uh, universities, uh, research institutions, um, other third-party areas. I mean, really, we know that our business is based on partnerships. I think the, the more complex and the broader the healthcare network becomes, the more those partnerships become extremely important. And so so that's kind of the way that we we strive to work at GE. and, uh, and yeah I look forward to uh, hearing from anybody who's uh, interested to get in touch. but uh, thank you very much again. really appreciate you uh, having me on the on the podcast. Hey,
0: everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review, and you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.